Welcome to Steep Magazine Adventures. Whether it's an epic ocean voyage or cozy retreat to an eco-lodge on a private island, this podcast covers the destinations, gear, and lodging of prestige adventure travel. I'm your host, Greg Robbins, taking you on another world-class adventure. Today, we meet Max Webster, founder of Hastings Overland. If you've ever wondered what it's like to travel off the beaten path in the comfort and safety of a self-sustaining vehicle, this is the episode for you. Max, I want to thank you so much for joining our show today. It's a real pleasure yeah, thank you for having, having you on. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me more about what overlanding is. Let's just uh, get that out of the way. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, overlanding is classically defined as self-reliant travel, literally overland to remote destinations. So the journey is the principal goal and camping is primarily the principal lodging. But that being said, a lot of people define it as being all off-road, but really in our definition of the term, as long as you feel like you're on an adventure, you're overlanding. Cool. So when you say uh, self-reliant, just uh, expand on that a bit. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, so if you're going to go out to, you know, Upper Squamish or out into Jones Lake or just anywhere in the interior of BC and you're going to camp for one night, two nights, three nights, essentially means you're going to be okay. If you get stuck, you're going to be able to get yourself out of that situation. You don't, you're just completely self-reliant in every sense of the word. So you've got extra water, you've got gasoline, you have a cooler, a stove, all the camping gear you're there and you're going to be okay. And what about things like first aid or, or are you prepared for an emergency and, and what sort of gear do you have on board to deal with it? Yeah, so in the Hastings Overland Jeeps, we have, a, we have jumper cables, we have a first aid kit, um, fire extinguisher, hatchet, all of the necessities for those situations because the worst thing that could happen to us is something that could happen to our customer. And so for like, how long could somebody be self-reliant for just on an average overlanding trip? Oh, I mean, in the late forties, when overlanding started, the first trip, the Land Rover series one made was from the UK to Ethiopia, just to give you an idea. So there's a lot of people that pride themselves on being able to go as long as possible. That being said with, with uh, our customers, we've had up to, 17 days, I think, is our longest booking. So, I mean, our rooftop tents, they come equipped with mattresses. Um, you're very comfortable up there. It's not like you're waking up with a stiff back every morning. So as long as you're okay with not having all the the comforts of home like you would with a 30-foot RV, then you can go for really as long as you'd like. You just need to fill up at the local Canadian Tire when you're rolling through town. Yeah, and, and um, interesting. So you were saying the late 40s. So where did it start? What was the genesis of, of overlanding? Where did it begin? Yeah, it's a good question. It was a farming term in Australia in the early 1900s, and they used it for opening up new territory for livestock. And then in the 40s is when overlanding routes started to come about in Australia as well to kind of open up access to the outback. Since then, currently it's... Australia and Africa were the two most popular places for overlanding, and those are also the two most commercially available places to hire a vehicle or take a trip with multiple other people and have a guide. 
So this is a pretty new, it's a pre, is it a pretty new sport um, in North America and old in, in other places? Or like, I'm just trying to, trying to visualize how, how fresh it is in, in North America. In North America, it's, it's definitely fresh. The U.S., as, as it happens with every part of culture, had it for us. Um, in Canada, currently, Hastings Overland is the first in B.C. to be doing rental operations. But that being said, it's still a hobby for individuals to go out and do. Like You can go to, there's many, many stores, many retailers that sell overlanding accessories and have done so for 10, 15 years. It's just now becoming something that you can hire. And and so tell me then, what is what does it offer that's unique and different than other types of adventure adventures into the wild? Yeah, I mean, from an adventure perspective, we think it's unrivaled. I mean, personally, I've driven through the Atacama Desert. I've done Eastern Africa. I've ridden motorcycles through Rajasthan in India and northern Vietnam. And I just got back from doing the Trans-Mongolian Railway. And I think that this is the type of experience where it's all about in between your destinations. And that's where you're going to get the true adventure. You know, a normal tourist is going to go from location to location and the destinations are what they're focused on. Whereas for us, it's the encounters with locals in a small village and having to find lodging for the night because we didn't make it to that town because it's dark. Um, and just kind of seeing the travel in a completely different way. All of our trip plans that we offer our customers, they come with ideas of what to do. So for example, if you're going to go up to Squamish, we've got suggestions for river rafting and, and mountain biking and all those things that you can, you can do from the locations that you're camping at as well. So it's not necessarily all about the journey. There is definitely aspects that include the destination itself. But we think that overlanding is typically thought of as more so about the, the, the journey in between destinations than the destination itself. Yeah, that's, that actually differentiates it for sure because typically you're right. We just focus on where we're going and almost want to get there as quickly as we can as opposed to enjoying the, the voyage there, right? Yeah, 100%. And I find that a lot of our customers right now, they when they first make their inquiry, They've got these huge agendas and they want to go from here to Whistler to Lillooet to Jasper down to Banff, then around to Revelstoke, Kelowna, Vancouver. And they want to do that in 10 days. That's a lot. Because that's the typical way that a tourist will come. No, I wouldn't say typical, but that is a very common way of tourists to come through BC. Whereas we really try and slow our customers down and say, well, there's 15 things to do between here and Whistler. So you might want to take a couple days. And just showing them the way that we'd like to see it. And I guess one question that pops into my mind is, where can you stop without somebody coming out and telling you to get off their private land or not being able to legally park on a piece of municipal property? Yeah, that's a great question. BC is, we are spoiled when it comes to back roads and access into the true wilderness. So we've partnered up with Backroad Mapbooks that is an incredible Canadian company and they give physical copies of regions with all the backroads, all of the gates, everything that you need to know about how to access these areas. And so when we send a customer out, we're not saying, you know, 
camp at this provincial park and this provincial park. We're telling them all of the different areas that you can go that aren't even necessarily a campsite or their uh, BC rec site, which are largely maintained by the users or by BC Hydro. There's a lot out there that the large majority of people don't really know about and are completely legal to camp at. Very cool. Very nice. Talk about special locations, huh? Oh, 100%. I mean, in the three months that we've been operational, we've found, I mean, personally, I've found at least 10 new spots that I would have never known about. And I've camped all my life. You know, as long as you, as once you take a look at all the resources that we have, it's truly incredible what, what people in BC can do. Neat. So who's the ideal candidate for overlanding trips? I mean, um, the people that you come across that seem to have enjoyed it the most. Yeah. So far as an age group, we haven't really narrowed that down yet. We've had customers all the way from 25 to early 60s. So the way we look at it, as long as you like to get out and explore and you don't need all the comforts and luxuries of a 30-foot RV, then this can totally be for you. You know, we equip our customers with all the knowledge through extensive orientation and we provide them with a manual so they can navigate the situations that they encounter and so they can enjoy their experiences rather than being you know, stressed out. Mm -hmm. So as long as the customer has a sense of adventure, then this is for them. And so what do you do in preparation for an overlanding trip? So we really pride ourselves on our communication. We, we show our customers what's included, uh, what to expect. We give them video tutorials on how to do all of the gear, as well as when they show up, we open the tent up, we open the awning. We show them how the winch works and we do all of that with them so that they can leave feeling prepared. If you're doing it on your own and you're not doing it through a company like ours, there's definitely considerable, it's a considerable undertaking. You need to have a vehicle that's prepared for the off-road. You need to have all the camping gear and almost most importantly, you would definitely need to have local knowledge in order to find these places. So there's, there's a considerable amount of preparation, but as long as we can have our customers leaving feeling like they're prepared for that, then all they really need to do is bring clothing and some food. Perfect. And I, yeah, you sound a bit like a concierge service where um, you get everything ready and, and send them on their way. Do people come to you with, let's say, uh, a bit of a loose itinerary? In other words, we'd like to go hiking or we want to go and see, we want to go swimming or we want to see wildlife. Do they Do they come to you with that? And if so, how do you develop an itinerary for them? That's actually ideal. When our customers come to us with an idea and some must-sees and must-dos, that's perfect for us. Mm -hmm. With us being a small business right now, we're still creating all the trip plans. So if we're hearing that, you know, five out of ten people really want to see Whistler, then we want to throw them through Whistler. And if they want a mountain bike, then we're going to start creating a relationship with the rental company there so they can show up and their gear is ready. Um, I would say about half of our customers show up already with a trip plan, so they're not requiring one, but when they do, we're all ears, you know, tell us what you want to do and we'll do the best to accommodate that. Yeah. Um, and you were mentioning, you know, Whistler, obviously that's a four season resort. Do you find that people like to overland in the summer, fall and spring only, or is it a four season sport? It's uh, our open season is from April 15th to October 31st. 
in the winter we strip our rooftop tents and we put ski racks on we reorganize the back of our tailgate kitchens to be more guided towards ski storage and then we send our customers out more so on ski safaris where they have lodging so they're not sleeping in the tents themselves be a little chilly i would imagine in the middle, <laughs> yeah, middle it would of the be night. very very chilly and so when you say lodging what type of lodging i mean are they rolling up to the hyatt at uh, at a big resort or are they finding more unique uh places along the way um that's completely up to them i mean we've helped with that before but more so when it comes to our trip plans we guide that more towards our summer stuff just because it's really easy to find a hotel, not necessarily easy to find a back road camping site. So we don't find that we actually have our customers asking us for suggestions when it comes to lodging in the winter. Yeah. Can you tell us, so give us a couple of examples and, and some, some stories of how people explored places and, and some really epic trips that were taken either by yourself or, or one of your clients. Yeah, I would love to. I would say the most epic part so far of this whole business is just seeing the type of people that show up and you'll have someone from Australia book two weeks in advance and they're going on a two week trip. Like that is a cool person that I want to meet first of all. Right. So for example, right now we have some Dutch clients out and they sent me a video of a grizzly encounter that they had in a Butte Inlet this morning. Um, so they're on the they're on Vancouver Island and they decided that they were going to take a, a seaplane up the Butte Inlet and then go out on a boat tour to see some grizzlies and that's what they did. So it's not necessarily all in the Jeep that they're finding these places. It's more so, you know, half the time they're using it as a vehicle to get to a place that's kind of far out and away. Um, last week we had a French client that was exploring some back roads on a trip plan of ours and they stumbled upon an absolutely epic mountain valley which they had all to themselves they stayed there for three days and there was three mountain peaks surrounding them this is near Lillooet and they just ended up hiking each mountain once one per day and that wasn't even part of the trip plan so what I want to stress to customers is that here's the trip plan but you know you're on an adventure don't we're not telling you that you need to stick to this if there's a road that you want to go and check out do it. Yeah. And these sound like really cool trips. And certainly I, I bet uh, in the case of the Lillooet, they probably encountered pretty much nobody else, right? Absolutely no one. I actually, they showed me this place on the map and I went and checked it out and man, <laughs> incredible, absolutely incredible. You can't even find that stuff on the internet. So well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, there must be, uh, you're certainly opening up the opportunity for people who want to get away from other people or the crowds and, and all the, you know, the usual vacation spots and, and really allowing them to experience nature really the way it should be, which is in, in the quiet and, and away from everyone else, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, we definitely, I mean, a lot of the places in BC that are known for their tourism are known for their tourism for a reason. So, you know, there are some incredible spots that you don't really want people to miss. I've been sending some of our customers up to Wells Gray Provincial Park. And yeah, you're going to be camping right next to somebody because it is a provincial park and there isn't forest service roads that allow for that type of camping. But man, if you haven't been up there, like the waterfalls are next level. And none of my customers have come back complaining that they had neighbors at night because it's it's that nice. 
So there's there's definitely a mix between, you know, you, you might find that one night you're in a place that's just you, and then the next night you're in another place there's others because that's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I get your Jeeps. I mean, maybe tell me a little bit of, we can get some gearhead going here. <laughs> what, <laughs> what kind of clearance do you have? And I mean, really, where can where can these Jeeps go that other other vehicles can't? And I mean, more than just a rental car or, or somebody's you know regular car. Yeah. Um, for the most part, our Jeeps, the nice thing about our Jeeps is you can go to these places that you don't know, maybe another vehicle could get to, but the nice thing about ours is you're getting there comfortable and you're knowing that it's going to make it because we have, you know, we have 33 inch tires with 10 ply, um, 10 ply of rubber. So a normal, a normal tire would have four ply and these have 10, so they are considerably thicker. We've got three inch lift. We've got aftermarket front and rear bumpers. So these things are really, really durable and they can take pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the whole point. You know, most of our customers aren't going to use that to the full extent and we don't necessarily want people using that to the full extent. But if they do encounter a situation where they need to go a little bit further, they're able to. Right. Like sometimes you get to some place and you go, I wonder what's around the corner and the road isn't, but you are. So you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you get past a place that you go, we maybe we shouldn't have done yeah. that and you can get back. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And tell me about maybe some of the, the, the most coolest things you've ever done personally overlanding. Cause obviously you've done some pretty epic trips. Yeah. I would say my favorite trip would have been renting a Royal Enfield in India mm-hmm. and biking through Rajasthan. That was incredible. And that's still overlanding because I had all my gear on my back and on my sat in my satchels and we just did it. And it was so incredible because in India it's, it's a place where you go to these big cities and you can get completely turned off from the place because they are loud. They're hectic. They are stinky. They are all of the above. They are just every single sense is on full the whole day. And then you get out into the, the little towns and villages in India and it is a completely different place, but you don't get there unless you go yourself. Right. Well, you could almost say that about many, um, many places in the world, really, I, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's next in overlanding? Cause it sounds to me, I know it's just, seems to me it's just, in its first stages, but can you tell me what, what you see as being the next evolution in overlanding, both in gear and destinations? Yeah, I think that we can kind of look towards Southern Africa and Australia for indications of what's to happen next. Um, the, one of the biggest things that happens in overlanding is it becomes a huge hobby within the hobbyist groups, but then companies like Hastings Overland start to come in because people start seeing these and they go, I want to try that, but I don't want to put 15 grand into a setup. Right. Right. So then they start becoming commercially viable and you start having things like the BC Overland rally, which happened in June and was the first ever. And you start having retailers starting to sell overland accessories. And then you start seeing in downtown Vancouver, you can't go a day without seeing a new rig with a rooftop tent. Um, in BC, I definitely think it's in its infancy. And I just think that 
it's it's kind of a, a global industry where you try it one place and then you just want to go and try it another. So we want to work with all of our competitors in, in other regions and kind of build a, a, a whole movement around it because I mean, as soon as I did these setups with Hastings Overland, the next thing I want to do is I want to go and try out Trekker Adventures in, in New Zealand. You know, it's just a natural next step. So I don't really think that overlanding is specific to a region. It's more so a, a worldwide thing. Very cool. And what about the actual uh, vehicles? I mean, certainly there's going to be some electric drivetrains coming along. Where Where do you see... How, how could that affect the opportunity and maybe even make it more exciting and more uh, environmentally friendly? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a little ways away because the electric vehicles are more so guided towards where the populations are, which are the urban areas. And I mean, if you look at the demographics of the globe, everyone is moving into cities. So I don't know if that will be a huge factor in overlanding in, in the next, in the, in the short term or even the medium to long term. Um, but we'd be all ears to that because of course there's an environmental impact to this and we pride ourselves on being environmentally sustainable and taking care of the areas that we visit. So if we could be, you know, less invasive with our carbon footprint, that would be more the better. Definitely. And certainly all the, uh, all the gear to all the cool new gear that will come along that will fit into these. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, there's a company out in Delta called Kakadu Camping and they sell overlanding gear from all the different regions in the world. And I was out there just a couple of weeks ago checking out a new tailgate kitchen that was from Australia and just the, the sophistication that's coming along with it and being able to really just fit more into a vehicle and being able to bring more and and be more efficient with it and having you know um trunk liners that are filled with water and you know pressure showers and all the things that make it even that much better because you don't feel like you're scuzzing out the whole time right yeah it'll certainly bring a bit more comfort and luxury to it because i mean think of you know think of the old backpacks we used to have and the ones we have now night and day right oh yeah absolutely if you just look at um like hike camping and you see a guy walking around with those steel poles yeah. on his back they're like what is going on there <laughs> <laughs> well he probably has more air going between his back and his pack yeah and... true he doesn't have all the sweat piling up <laughs> yeah but he's only got one pocket <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly Max, this has been an awesome conversation. I totally want to go over landing now. Um, tell people how they can get a hold of you and, and reach your company. Yeah, um, our main platform obviously is our website. You can book straight through our website at www.hastingsoverland.com. And be sure to check out our Instagram because that's our main social platform, which is our handle is at Hastings Overland. Uh, we're really trying to get some social influencers and photographers out in our vehicles to really show our potential customers, you know, the amazing spots they can get to. Great. Max, again, thanks. Hi there. It's your host, Greg Robbins. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please rate, review, or subscribe to Steep Magazine Adventures wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us make this show bigger and bolder. Plus, you'll never miss one of our great episodes. And for more stories on world-class adventure travel, head over to Steep Magazine for everything from guided heli-skiing to personalized scuba dives. 